You are listening to a broadcast of Dublin First Baptist Church, Pastor Cameron McGill in Dublin, North Carolina. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist Church and the Lake Church to hear from God's Word. I encourage you to take your copy of God's Word. Turn with me to Acts chapter number 1. Acts 1 is a place that we are fairly often. Now that we're a week away from Easter, we're going to, for the next couple of weeks, be looking at this text. Today at the subject, many infallible proofs. And then next week, specifically on who needs the gospel. On who needs the gospel. I got so excited working on this second message on who needs the gospel. I'd like to get up and preached it this morning, but that's where we'll be next week. Just a moment, we'll show a brief video that will help you to get your mind around what's going on. It's now 40 days after the resurrection. People are wondering what's happening. Will Jesus restore the kingdom to earth for Israel? Will he stay and set up that kingdom here on earth? And he tells them, no, he's going away to prepare a place. But it's interesting to note that for those 40 days, that gap of time, that one after the other, Jesus revealed himself, the Bible says, after many infallible proofs. In other words, evidences that he was alive. And then he told the disciples, now you'll be my witnesses. In other words, now you're the evidence. Now you're what's left. You're my witness. You're the one that's going to testify to the world that I am alive. I think sometimes at Easter we get so caught up in the cross that we forget Easter is not at all about the cross, but it's about the resurrection. We come and we celebrate the fact that Jesus died, but if that were all, it would just make him a wonderful man that did something very noble. But the fact that he rose from the grave makes him not a wonderful man, but it makes him the God-man. It makes him the Messiah, Emmanuel, just who he said he was. This morning we're looking. Those three words, many infallible proofs. May God show us what we need to be about to prove and to be the evidence of his existence that he is indeed alive. Father, take over this service and this point. God, that you might interpret your word to your people. God, through this video, help us to be taken back some 2,000 years. Help us in our minds and our hearts to see you today high and lifted up. And then be encouraged and equipped to leave this place ready to offer many infallible proofs that you are alive. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible says for 40 days to hundreds and hundreds of people, as many as 500 at one point, Jesus revealed himself after many infallible proofs. This morning I want us just to think for just a few moments from the book of Acts, first chapter beginning in verse 3, to whom also he showed himself alive. You know the world doesn't even realize that. Most people think Jesus died and that was it. It's a good man, but he's dead. But he revealed himself alive after his passion by many infallible, undeniable, unquestionable proofs being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And they assembled themselves together and and they were commanded that they should not depart from Jerusalem but wait for the promise of the Father which he said unto them, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hereafter. 
Now, just to set up the time frame, there would be the resurrection. There would be a 40-day period of Jesus revealing himself. On the 40th day, Jesus would ascend to heaven with the promise to return. And then 10 days later, as the disciples waited in the upper room, finally the day of Pentecost came. They were filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and they began to reveal to the world that truly Christ lived in them. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, Lord, will you at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Verse 7 and he said, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but you. And this is not just to those there, to, there that particular day, but even for those of us that are here today. But you shall receive power, potency, dunamis, dynamite. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and under the uttermost parts of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why do you stand here gazing up into heaven? For this same Jesus that's been taken up from you shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go. And we celebrate as we wait and as we watch. But you see this small little phrase in verse 3, that Jesus showed himself alive after many infallible proofs. This past Monday, as I was uh, making my, my visits and traveling, I began to think about how anticlimactic the day after a big day is. You know what it's like when you wake up the day after Christmas? You look around and you see the evidences of Christmas past and you think of all that you have before you. Maybe a birthday or an anniversary or maybe graduation or, or maybe some big event in your life. And it's over and you're wondering, now what do we do? Well, last Monday I began asking God to show me what is it that we're to do. And he took me to Acts 1-3 and this little phrase, many infallible proofs. Realizing that for us to witness and for us to be what verse 8 says we need to be and for us to fulfill the great commission, then we must be willing to offer the world many infallible proofs. Now, be, be very clear that it's not something that we can muster up ourselves or that we can create. We can't read a book on how to produce many infallible proofs. We cannot learn enough songs that we might sing about those infallible proofs. But literally, it is about being filled with the Holy Spirit of God and then simply getting out of the way so that others can see Him in how we act and how we live and how we conduct ourselves. So it's very, very simple. But I want us to spend some time this morning thinking before we have communion it's so important that we understand what communion is all about. I, I don't like just tacking it on to the end of the service and saying, well, it's that time of year again, got to have communion. It's our ritual, you know, it's our religion. But it's our response and responsibility to the command of Christ. Three things this morning I want to show you. Number one, you and I must understand that to offer infallible proofs, we must personally have an encounter with Christ, an encounter with the cross of Christ. Galatians chapter 2 and verse number 20. You certainly have heard this uh, somewhere along the way as Paul writing to the church at Galatia. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ who lives in me, and the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
Now think about this for a minute. Have we encountered the cross? Have we come to a point in our life when we have passed by the cross? If you were here last Sunday, certainly you encountered the cross. If you've, if you've been to church for very long, you've encountered the cross. If you listen to Christian radio or watch Christian TV or have read a Christian book, you have encountered the cross. But the question is, what have you done with the cross? Have you embraced the cross or rejected the cross? Accepted the cross or neglected the cross? Two things to consider about this encounter. Number one, the encounter with the cross identifies us. Listen, there's nothing wrong with being identified with Christ. Every once in a while, I'll watch my children and I'll see them do something, maybe on a ball field, and I'll, and I'll say, you know what? I cannot deny that one. He acts just like me. Or someone will say to me, boy, you can't deny that child just like you. A spitting image of you. Listen, there's nothing wrong with being identified. I believe that people ought to see Christians as being identified with their father. There should be enough of him and us that others can see it. You've been called a name. Which one, AJ? It looked like I hit a nerve. Would you like to share? Oh. I can only imagine. You might not believe this, but when I was younger, I was called a lot of names. I was kind of short, so names like shrimp and small fry. And they hurt. Those names were not given to me to build me up or to encourage me. Beloved, in the first century, believers were given a name. And that name was not meant to build them up or to encourage them. And it was the name Christian. The name Christ with I-A-N, of Christ. And people would say, there they are, those Christians. There they are, those little Christs. Beloved, to even be able to be called a Christian and to be identified by the name of Christ, what an honor and what a privilege. In that first century, it was not intended to be that way. People would look at them and say, we see Christ in you. You're nothing but a, a little Christ. Some 2,000 years later, I wonder when people look at us, when people look at the church and the body, do they say, you know, there's a Christian. You can see Christ in them. Beloved, if we were on trial today for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict us? Is there enough walk that backs up our talk that identifies us with Christ? When we encounter the cross, we become identified with him, but we also become inspired by him. When Jesus went from place to place, he told those, if you will follow me, you must be willing to take up your cross and to follow me, to be obedient, to accept your personal cross, to be passionate about your cross. In the Baptist church, there are two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Both of those began by the inspiration of the Lord Jesus Christ as he commanded us to observe these things. And both of these things identify us with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Think about baptism. It's a picture. Christ was born, he died, was buried, and he rose again. When we're baptized, we understand that we've been naturally born and because of that we have sinned. And through Christ's death and burial, we are buried with Him in baptism. And then we are raised to walk in newness of life. That's why we have baptism. And then we think about communion. 
the breaking of the bread that represents the body of Christ and the blood of Christ represented by the Jews. And we understand once again, we are identifying with him. We have encountered the cross time and time again. But personally, where are you with the cross? Have you accepted the gift of the cross through salvation? And are we daily bearing our cross through obedience, a, a religious sounding word of sanctification? But are we daily living for him that others might say that person bears their cross and they bear it well? That simply means we live for him. In spite of ridicule when it comes, in spite of criticism when it comes, in spite of things not always going our way or not always being wonderful, we're going to serve Him. I'm amazed so many things I read. I, I walk through Walmart and I look at all the books in the inspirational section and more and more and more of those books are about how glamorous it is and how prestigious it is and how much, you know, how much there is that we gain from the Christian life. You know, If we'll only have a little bit of faith that we'll never have a mountain to cross. No, the Bible didn't say that. It says with that faith, that mountain will be able to conquer. doesn't say it's, it's, it's never going to be there. It will be removed as we're going through it. God will be with us to overcome those things. The Bible never said that every day would be a Friday. Friend, I tell you, I'm glad there's only one Monday in a week, but I'm not going to complain that every day isn't Friday. I'm going to be glad that every day God is with me. We understand that there's a cross for every one of us to bear, and it's how we bear it that identifies us with Christ. So think about that. Many infallible proofs. The evidence of those around us that we're truly a Christian, how we bear our cross every single day. Number two, not only is there the encounter of the cross or the encounter with the cross, there is the evidence of the cross. If we're truly saved, it should make a difference. Did you know that? If we're truly born again, there should be some differences. There should be some evidences. 1 Corinthians 5, 17, the Bible says this. If any man, that is any person, is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. In other words, there will be things about our life that will identify it, make it very clear who we belong to. Sometimes we have this idea that Christianity is all about what we can get from it. But it's far more about what we can do to influence the lives and the faith of others. Think about this. There's His cross. His cross is what He did for us. And we must be willing to accept that. There is no other way of salvation. There's no plan B. There's no back door. There's no detour around. Well, we'll get there. Listen, there's only one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That's His cross. We must accept His cross. We must come to that point that we say, I put my faith and I put my trust in the atoning work that Christ did for me on Calvary's cross. But number two, there's also our cross. His cross is when we accept what he did for us, but our cross is when we apply what we are to do for him. What are we doing on a daily basis? Eternal stuff. What are we doing on a daily basis for the Lord? Think about this. How many of you like to watch the old westerns? How many of you grew up in those days? <laughs> Got you, Roscoe. Watching an old western once upon a time, and this rancher had just thousands and thousands of these prized steers. And with every steer that he would purchase, he would brand it with his brand. And he was asked, 
Do you brand those steers so that you know which ones are yours? Because in these days there was just open ranges and no fences. They would just wander. Do you brand those steers so you know which ones are yours? He said, no, I know which ones are mine. I brand them so that others know which ones are mine. Friend, may I tell you that branding was not comfortable for that steer. That branding did not bring much pleasure. In fact, it brought pain. But how that steer responded to that brand and that he carried that brand from that point on let other people know who he belonged to. There are things that you and I are going to go through in life that we do not want to go through. I'm to the point in my life that I don't even want to answer my phone anymore, I'll be honest. It's normally not good news. Seem to have been on a little bit of a roller coaster, even more so of late. But you know, it's how we handle those moments that identifies whose we are. When people see in us that there's something different and they see Christ in us and how we handle life, they see the branding marks of the sweet presence of God in our lives. How did they get through that? In Christ alone? How did they handle that in Christ alone? How did they deal with that in Christ alone? From time to time, I'll have people say to me, I've watched this particular family or that particular family and I just don't understand how they're being so strong. I just don't understand how they've endured. I just don't understand how they've kept their faith. What they're doing is they're looking at that family and whether they know it or not, they're seeing the brand of God upon them. Here's the thing though. There's many a steer that would run from that brand. I don't want to be branded. I want the benefit of living on the ranch. I want to be fed daily. I don't want to be cared for. and I want to make sure I get everything out of this relationship with the rancher, but I don't want his brand upon me. I don't want to go through that pain. I don't want to deal with that experience. But beloved, here's the deal. We're never going to have a testimony until first we've endured the test. I can assure you if you're a Christian, you've gone through some tests. You've not just experienced every day on the mountaintop. One of my fears is with this new uh, philosophy of, of many uh, so-called e evangelicals that, you know, when I accept Christ, everything's going to be wonderful. Well, the problem is then the first day something's not wonderful. What do you do? You throw away that brand of Christ because you said, this is not what I signed up for. The evidence of the cross. Number three, and we're done. The expression of the cross. We have the encounter of the cross. That's when we accept and we identify. We're inspired by Him. The evidence of the cross, His cross, our cross. But the expression of the cross is so very important. You see, the first two we deal with right here. But it's the expression of the cross that we deal with as we go. Think about this. If you went to a seminar to learn how to sell any sorts of things, and you go to that seminar and they teach you about the material and they teach you about the product, and they teach you all about it and they give you everything you need to equip you to go and be a salesperson, but yet you never make your first house call. All of that that you learned in that conference, in that seminar is all for naught. We can come week in and week out and we can be equipped and we can learn about our faith and we can study the Word of God and we can be equipped, but until we go out and apply that which we've learned, it's all for nothing. So the expression of the cross is so very, very important. Matthew 5, 16 says this. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaking... And he tells us about our responsibility. 
Let, let your light so shine before men. Who is our light? It's Christ. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, but then glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's the expression of the cross. I'm going to be light in the midst of darkness, salt in an unsavory world. But I don't feel like light many days. I feel like I still have so much darkness and so much gloom and, and all of these things. Well, how can I produce light? You can't. You simply reflect the light of Christ. We wear our little handbands that say, what would Jesus do? We know what Jesus would do by what Jesus did do. And then we go and do what Jesus did do as well. So what is the expression of the cross? Let me give you this very, very quickly and we're done. Number one, it's about believing in Christ. Now you'd say, well, duh, we know that. But it's more the believing in Christ than saying, well, I don't want to go to hell when I die, so I'm going to accept salvation. I'm going to get saved, be baptized, join the church. Praise God, I'm his. But believing in Christ is literally walking every day by faith. God, I don't understand my circumstances or my situations, but God, I'm going to believe in you. God, I'm going to put my faith and I'm going to put my trust in you. Blindly, I am going to follow where you lead. Think about this. If you travel to the road to Emmaus, Luke chapter 24, I believe, scores of people saw Jesus and failed to believe. Jesus finally went and began talking with some of his disciples. They didn't recognize him. The eyes were, were blinded, you might say. And they questioned him and said, why aren't you, know, don't you realize what's going on? You haven't heard Jerusalem, there, uh, this great man was killed and now his body's missing and we don't know. And, and finally their eyes of understanding were opened and they realized that it was Jesus. Listen, friend, as long as they were there confused and confounded and bewildered, they were doing nothing for Christ. But the Bible says the moment that they believed, the eyes of their understanding were open, they would have a meal with Jesus and they would go and they would literally begin turning the world upside down for Christ. They believed and it made all the difference. Maybe we're at that point along the road to Emmaus and we've heard the story and we've witnessed a little bit of the work of God, but we're wondering and we're not truly believing. I would love to see what would happen if an entire church would truly walk by faith. Any church, if any one man or woman would truly walk by faith, there's no telling the possibilities of what could be accomplished. Are we walking by faith today or are we still walking by sight? So the expression of the cross is when we walk by faith and people look at that and say, that blows my mind. How are they doing that? I don't understand because we're walking totally by faith. Number two, it's a matter of belonging to Christ. You know you belong to someone. Think about that. Imagine for a minute I'm walking down the street of Elizabethtown, maybe going to get me a Melvin's burger. Some woman comes up to me and says, Hey, good looking. What it could happen. I'll have you know I had two women the other day. Y'all don't tell Tiffany about it. I had two women the other day that chased me down. They did. I was visiting over the nursing home and these two ladies... And when they caught me, one of them kind of tugged on, on, my, on my coat and I turned around and she said, I just wanted my friend to see your eyes. Oh, it made me feel so good. She was 98 and had cataracts, but she still thought I was a good looking man. Amen. I had to look down and I said, well, I'm sorry, but I'm taken. 
She's in a wheelchair. I'm sorry, she wasn't that short. I'm sorry, I'm taken. Can I tell you something? Every day of your life, temptation comes. Every day the enemy sets his snare and his trap for you and me. Every day the questions that invade our minds and our hearts to wonder about this thing of our faith, we need to remember, I'm sorry, I'm taken, I belong to another, I am no longer my own, I've been bought with the price, the greatest price of all, I belong to Jesus. How does this whole relationship work? I'm reminded of the story of the pagan Indian. Nothing but pagan till a missionary visited his tribe. The missionary began developing a relationship and expressing and expounding the gospel every day to this old Indian until finally this Indian was gloriously saved. A little while would pass and someone asked this old Indian to explain what had happened to him when the missionary came and visited their tribe. Indian thought for a moment and he piled a big pile of leaves up in a circle, packed them down and added more until finally it was a large pile. And he reached over and took an old earthworm and he picked that worm up and he put it right in the middle of that pile of leaves. Then struck a rock and lit that pile of leaves on fire. That pile of leaves began burning around the parameter of the circle, smoldering and burning the more and the more until finally that pile of leaves was nearly engulfed in flames coming toward that little worm. Right at the last moment, that old Indian reached down into those flames, singeing his red skin. And he picked that little worm up and held him tight and pulled him safely from that fire. And he held that little worm up and said, me, worm. Friend, may I say to you, it is not about all the religion in the world, all the, religion, all the rituals of every church in the world, but it's about coming to the point to realizing that you and me, we were nothing but worms. But the God of heaven loved us so much that he willingly suffered and bled and died to rescue us from a devil's hell. I belong to him. Me, worm. But I belong to the King of kings and Lord of lords. What a thought. I do believe. I do belong. But finally, we're challenged to be bold. Believing in Christ, belonging to Christ. But boldness for Christ is so very much necessary. Acts 1.8 says, after the Holy Spirit of God has come upon you then, you'll be my witnesses. And they were. They literally began doing things that were unexplainable. They began preaching messages that they would have never preached before. Performing miracles they could have never performed before. Why? Because they had boldness as equipped by the Holy Spirit of God. How bold are you? Beloved, I want to tell you, I think we're pretty bold people when it comes to the things we stand against. 
If I were to ask you today about your political preferences, you would be bold. If I asked you about your social preferences, you would be bold. If I asked you about what you felt about certain things, whether it's the translation of the scriptures or the style of music or whatever it might be, we would be bold. We get bold about whether we sit in pews or chairs. We get bold about whether we have chandeliers or, or other kind of light fixtures, stained glass windows or regular ones. All the things that churches get bold about. But when it comes to the most important thing, and that is sharing our faith and sharing Jesus and letting others see the Christ in us, many times we're timid and we're bashful and we're shy. It's time that we allow Christ to live in and through us and to begin offering this old world many infallible proofs. Simple thoughts this morning, but how important. Thomas was called the doubter. He needed lots and lots of proof. We're living in a Thomas generation, y'all. People doubt the very tenets of our faith. They think we're lunatics for believing what we believe. And the only ammunition we have to their attacks is genuine, authentic faith backed up by the evidence that Jesus truly didn't just live but is alive. Father, in these moments of response and invitation,